right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time to say. All right, let's go. Crank it. Crank it, Glenn Cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. I'm Derek Johnson, and I am with Nick Springer, the one and the only. Hello. Hello to you There's as well. There's actually a lot of Nick Springer. Did you ever Google yourself? No, Google why myself. would I Google Derek Johnson? You don't why think- not? Because there's a billion of them. Well, I that's what I'm saying. I've, I've Googled, I Google myself, and there's other, there's other ones yeah, out there. Of course there are. Do you think there are more, I don't know, like if, if I change my first name to like Giraffe, yeah, do you think there'll be another a, Giraffe Johnson a, out there? That actually flows. <laughs> there's a lot of Derek Johnson. So yeah. yours, you're, yeah. It's tough. No, but I mean, you know, the Springer family name, my dad told me this, there's a long history allegedly of how they came about. And, uh, you know, five brothers, mm. two of them went to the East Coast. No, wait, no, four brothers. Wow, two of them went to the East Coast. History. One went to the Midwest, one went to the, the West. Mm. Well, we're blessed. So to I, have evidently, you. I'm descended Thank you from to the, the one man Midwest who came, descendant Springer. Who came to the Midwest. Uh, so we are going to be talking plenty KU UConn on today's show, as you'd imagine. That game you can hear right here on KLWN. Eight o'clock tip-off. Pre-game starts at six thirty, as well as over on 105.9 Kiss. We uh, are going to talk a little Chiefs. We're going to talk a little college football playoff. We got our game picks. Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports will join us at four thirty. We got KU basketball audio. We got KU volleyball to talk about too. After they won last night, swept Omaha. They're playing at five thirty tonight against Penn State. Before we get into the KU UConn preview, though, I did want to kind of tie up the Andy Kotelnicki conversation from yesterday. Uh, we mentioned that it was reported by Bruce Feldman. It has been made official today. Uh, Penn State posted. Uh, and put up a story that that he is now there. Now, according to Center Daily, which is a Happy Valley news source, he is getting a four-year contract that will start at one point six million dollars. It'll rise to like one point seven in year two. Eventually, it'll rise to two million dollars by year four, which is a lot of change for an offense coordinator. Yeah, big time. Uh, for instance, USA Today a few weeks ago actually released their highest-paid assistants in college football. Garrett Riley. Also former KU assistant. What's in the water there? Just be a former KU offensive coordinator and you'll make a lot of money. Uh, he is now the Clemson offensive coordinator. He is making $2.05 million. Second highest paid is Ryan Grubb, the Washington offensive coordinator, who's making $2 million. So by the end of this contract for Andy Kotelnicki, he'll be making as much money as basically any assistant in uh, in college football. And right now, for next year, making $1.6 million, that puts him just outside of the top 10 in the country in terms of assistance. So he's getting paid a lot of money. For what it's worth, I do believe Kansas did make a hard effort, a hard push to re-sign him. I don't know the if they offered the same amount of money or if they offered, you know, more money than he's making now, which the the deal he got last year was for a million dollars per year over five years with a hundred thousand dollar retention bonus. So maybe KU came back and was like, hey, we'll give you one point four. And then maybe Penn State came back another time, or maybe KU offered to match. And maybe this is just more about a career move for him. Um, I will say I, I do think that KU again 
made a push on this financially, which makes you feel like they are investing in the program and, and do have money to make some stuff happen. And now they have $700,000 to play with from the buyout coming back to them. In addition to basically saying, Hey, we're willing to pay a coordinator, you know, a good amount of money. And we have an extra little, little uh, chunk of change laying around from the buyout. I think what becomes interesting now, and we're not going to have the answer to this today. Are they going to use that money to bring in an offensive coordinator from elsewhere? Or are they going to stick with Jim Zabrowski? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that seems to be the big question now because Jim Zabrowski is the guy that's been with Lance Leipold now. This is this is technically his second stint with Lance. He left at one point and then came back, and so he's a guy that's been a coordinator under Lance Leipold before, and and certainly understands probably the the, the methodology and the process that Lance Leipold wants to instill. And, and again, I kind of touched on this yesterday, but with the way that KU as a program is run, starting with Lance Leipold, they run it as a system, as a process. And it's it's very, very methodical in, in, in how they do it and very mechanical in how they do it. And that, that leads me to believe that that process, that system, does not boil down to one person. So with Andy Kolnicki leaving, yes, it is a big loss for Kansas, I think, certainly. But that because of the way KU is built, that you should be able to withstand that and continue to keep, keep that process going. So I do have a lot of confidence in Lance. But, yeah, big loss. And listen – to your point, I mean, depending on what KU did and how much of a push they did make, I think that would speak highly because this is an up-and-coming program, and maybe other people are going to start turning their heads and say, wait a second, you can win at Kansas, and on top of that, you can make a lot of money at Kansas, right? So it's not just so much, you know, I think there was kind of this, this there's this idea that in college football, there are certain areas that are, or certain programs that are like, quote-unquote, stepping stone programs. You know, you go there, and you do well, and then you move on, mm-hmm. right? Kansas is now maybe, with, with what they're doing financially with Lance Leipold, is trying to assert themselves not no longer as a stepping stone program, but as a program where you'll come here, you can win at a high level, and you'll be able to make that money as well and be one of the more prestigious schools, uh, pre- prestigious programs in the country. Yes. So uh, we'll, we'll talk more about that, I guess, in the coming days, and, and we'll find out more about it. But, yeah, they do, they do have some ammunition to go out and, and get another offense coordinator if that's what they choose. I, I do trust Jim Zabrowski, but we'll see. Uh, I, I guess part of it is, does Zabrowski want to be the offense coordinator? Is he more content being the quarterback's coach? How well does he do possibly in the bowl game calling plays? There could be a lot there that uh, maybe. Yeah, I mean, also, yeah, your question yesterday answered. Uh, Zabrowski will be. Yep, <laughs> calling the plays for the bowl game. Yes, which I like. It's it's kind of a trial run to be able to do that. So yeah. KU plays UConn tonight. Again, hear it here on KLWN and 105.9 KISS. 8 o'clock tip-off, 6.30 pregame. Connecticut is ranked fourth in the AP poll. Kansas is fifth, so you have a top-five showdown. This is also a matchup of the last two national champions on Ken Palm. Connecticut is third in the country. And Kansas is seventh. Uh, UConn has the number six offense. That going up against Kansas's number four defense. UConn has the number 10 defense. That going up against Kansas's 35th ranked offense. Um, when you look at this game, what is the importance factor? How important is this game? Yeah, I mean, you know, normally I sit here and say November games don't matter. Which, by the way, we're in December now. Mm. So, does that apply is the question. Well, I think generally it applies a little bit less but in a game like this I actually do think it's important because when you think about the NCAA tournament obviously UConn is probably going to be a top three top four seed in the NCAA tournament and a win against UConn for Kansas it honestly could be the difference between them possibly being a one seed or being a two seed in the NCAA tournament so this game specifically I think does matter quite a bit more maybe than you would think because uh, I do think this is a game where you get a head-to-head win against another team that is going to be competing for that seed lining and come NCAA tournament selection time, 
if the committee looks back and says, hey, you know, they, 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 they took care of business against these boys once already this season, probably maybe should be a higher seed. That, I think, is where this game, this, the importance of this game really, really factors in because that, that does matter, right? I mean, that kind of stuff does matter. So I think for Kansas, it, it is an important game. And also, it's an important game because it's at home. You're at Allen Fieldhouse, and you want to you take care of business at home and win your home games, especially in non-conference play, regardless of if you're playing Eastern Illinois or UConn. You, you want to defend your home court and win at home. Yes. Uh, now, I, I think, that, yeah, it, it's important because, to me, this would signify that you're still in that that tier one of national title contenders. Like, if you lose this game, it does not change that Kansas is... Like, if you lose this game, you're still a top 10 team. Yeah. If you sure. lose this game, you're still a national title contender. You're still a Final Four contender. That doesn't change. But there is a difference between being in that first tier of national title contenders and that second tier. In some years, it doesn't matter because March is so crazy that at the end of the day, does it matter that much? No, but realistically, wouldn't you rather have the better team, right? I mean, doesn't that increase <laughs> yeah. your chance even a little bit in a hectic March Madness bracket? So yeah. I, I think this game signifies that you're still in tier one. I think if you lose this game, you're probably looking at it as like, okay, now you have a couple losses. You've had a couple moments here and there that even in wins where you've been like, eh, I don't know. Uh, then maybe you're in that second tier. And again, that can be okay, but uh, you'd prefer to be in tier one here. Uh, as yeah. far as the UConn scouting report, they're 7-0 and to start the season. They've won 13 straight games overall. They've won 24 straight games against non-conference opponents, all of them by double-digit points. Their big wins this year, they beat Indiana on neutral court by 20. They beat Texas on neutral court by 10 points. Uh, they played Manhattan, who Kansas beat 90-60, to so I guess Kansas beat them by more, so that's a good sign, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh like I said, top 10 on both offense and defense. They're a very balanced team. This is one of the best starting fives in college basketball, but Stephon Castle probably going to be out tonight. So that does make things a little bit better. Even then, Tristan Newton, Cam Spencer, Alex Caraban, Donovan Klingon, that's an elite four. Their backup five-man, Samson Johnson, is really good. One of their backup guards, Hassan Diara, is really good. Uh, they have a lot of players who will fill it up. I think five players who are averaging 14 or more points per game. Wow. Now, again, Castle's one of those, so he's yeah. out tonight. Um, now, as far as the things they do well, like they are kind of just elite at a lot of things. They are uh, top 20 in the country in effective field goal percentage, offensive rebound rate, where they are sixth, uh, two-point percentage, where they are second, um, and then they are 43rd in avoiding basically non-steal turnovers. They are top 60 in avoiding turnovers overall. They are top 40 in avoiding getting their shots blocked. They are top 65 in free throw percentage, top 85 in getting to the free throw line defensively, like they're 22nd in effective field goal rate defense, they're 8th in defensive rebounding, they're 9th in two-point defense, they're uh, 20th in block rate defensive. Like, they are just an elite basketball team overall. The only qualms you could have with them so far is that they're not a great defensive turnover team. They haven't been bad at it. They're better than KU is actually right now, but they haven't been elite at it, some of the other stuff. Uh, they're not a great three-point shooting team percentage-wise right now, but... I think they are a good three-point shooting team that just hasn't shot it well so far. For instance, they're only shooting 31% from three, which is 237th in the country, but they're 86th in the country in the amount of shots they're taking that are coming from three-point range. And, like, a guy like Alex Caraban is shooting in the low 30s. He shot 40% last year. Like, they have some guys who are shooting below what their worth is, so I actually do think they're a decent three-point shooting team. Um, they are giving up a lot of threes on the outside and allowing teams to shoot a good amount from three on the outside. So maybe that is a weakness, but I don't know how well Kansas is going to be able to exploit that. Yeah, I think that's the big question here is, is, is Kansas going to be able to come out and have a game where Dewan Harris can hit four or five threes and Kevin McCuller can get going 
And does Hunter Dickinson try to step out and hit some threes in a game like this, especially against a, a guy that's uh, equal in size or bigger than him in, in, uh, in Klingon? Uh, <laughs> so the one thing that about all those the stats that, that you were kind of talking about there that stuck out, stuck out to me, especially is offensive rebounding rate. Kansas is coming off a game against Eastern Illinois where they got out offensive rebounded, basically. Yep. Eastern Illinois was able to get a lot of, a lot of offensive rebounds. That particularly raises my eyebrows heading into this game against UConn, where they are a top ten team in offensive rebounds, and you're coming off of probably your worst performance in terms of allowing offensive rebounds against a lesser opponent in Eastern Illinois. So, I do have some concern in that area, you know. And again, you look to guys like Kevin McCuller and KJ Adams. I, know I kind of talked about this earlier in the week with the rebounding, but Hunter Dickinson is 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 pulling his share of the weight and more. But you need other guys to step up and 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 get on the glass, right? Uh, so McCuller, KJ Adams, Johnny Furphy, if he's in the game, you know, things like that. Th- those types of hustle plays and getting those rebounds could be the difference for Kansas just in terms of limiting possessions for UConn and and, and uh, keeping them off the offensive glass. So Is, is that, that what scares you most, that UConn I, does well? I think it probably would, honestly, yes, because if you're allowing them to get a lot of second-chance points, that's a res- that's not a recipe for success. Because, again, right? they're top ten in both offensive rebound and defensive rebound rate. Yeah. Yeah, and that's an issue because you know again Hunter Dickinson he's do, he's doing his he's doing his part, but how much is he going to be maybe nullified or kind of canceled out by uh, Mister Klingon from Planet uh, Kronos? See, I did my Klingon research. Good Kronos. Job. Good job. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know, but the rebounding I think is probably the thing I'll be keeping a close eye on for this one. And then to your point about the three point shooting, you mentioned how UConn. Percentage-wise, when you look at the stat sheet, it's not shooting the three-of-out ball very well, but you feel like they're shooting it better. Kansas has kind of been the inverse so far this yeah. season, right? You look at the stat sheet for Kansas, and you and you know earlier, you know prior to the Eastern Illinois game, they're shooting almost forty percent. You're thinking, oh, they're fine on three-point shooting, but then maybe that doesn't tell you the whole story. So you wonder if maybe Kansas can can find a way. And also beyond that, you know there are there are some guys on Kansas that are certainly shooting under what they would normally shoot, right? Nick That's Timberlake. actually an interesting question. Nick Timberlake, most notably, obviously. Uh, so, you know, maybe it kind of goes both ways with that. But, yeah, I mean, if I'm UConn, I think the strategy against Kansas is pretty simple. Pack the paint? Yeah, pack the paint, take Make away Hunter Dickinson, and see if Dewan Harris and company can shoot, can beat you with three-point shots. I mean, I think that's a pretty easy strategy to to come out with if you're if you're UConn. Now, what's what's going to be tough is, and Kansas was doing an excellent job of this earlier in the season. They didn't do it, they didn't really do it as much against Eastern Illinois, and they hadn't, didn't really do it as much towards the end of Maui. The, the three-man game that they ran, they executed it very well against Kentucky and, and, he, and in Maui a little bit too, where it's Dewan Harris in a pick-and-roll with, with Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams is cutting baseline. Mm-hmm. That was virtually unstoppable like two weeks ago. I'd like to see Kansas use that more again, right? Because Caravan, I don't think, is the greatest defender in the world. K.J. Adams is explosive off the bounce. You get that action if you're Kansas. You can go to Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris can create, and then you've got lob opportunities for KJ Adams. That to me is that to me has been the best set play I've seen Kansas run all year, and it's I don't I haven't really seen anybody come close to stopping it, to be honest. So I'd like to see them go back to that sort of action where they can get a three man game involved with those three guys. I'd have a fun game because you you brought this up and this got me thinking. I want to go through every individual, at least part of the rotation, list their three point percentage, and you tell me over under. Are they going to shoot better or worse than that the rest of the season? Like, will they finish better or worse oh, than that at oh, the end of the season? Okay. okay yeah. So, so this, this will give us a good idea on okay. are we. I didn't know if you were going to say comparing it to like what they shoot for their career right now. No, no. I was, it, basically, it's an exercise in being like, even though some of these guys are shooting low, are we optimistic it's going to get better? Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
Hunter Dickinson's at 61.5%. <laughs> this is an easy one. Uh, I assume that's going to be under. Okay. Kevin McCullers at 29.6%, which is basically his career average. From three? Yes. Yeah. He's four for his last 20. Yeah, that's tough because uh, a lot of the conversation we had about Kevin McCuller coming into the season was, man, even if he can shoot just like 33, 32%. And it looked good in the first, what, yes. exhibition games in the yes. first game or two of the season? Uh, I'm going to be optimistic and okay. say over because I think if you're Kevin McCuller, you got to understand, if you want to have a legit shot of being drafted, that number's got to be... I would say minimum 32%, minimum, if you want to be legitimately have a shot at being drafted. I don't even want to do KJ Adams. I know it's 0% on 0 for 1, but it's just like, it, it's not applicable. Cause what, what did he, how many How many did he shoot last year? I, two or three. Yeah. It's just not applicable because he could end up one of four, but it doesn't really impact anything. You know what I mean? So I, I don't even want to worry about that yeah, one. Boyd. Uh, Dewan Harris is at 40%. Uh, I almost want to say, push, yeah, I almost want to say push on that one. To be okay, honest, I we'll mean, I think because uh, he, he shot pretty close to that. It was last like forty percent last year too. Yeah, so, yeah. I'll say push. You could convince uh, I me. I think under. it might be under if he if if he does increase his volume. That's the thing. Yeah, it could be thirty seven percent, but if he's more willing to take him, it's worth more. You know? Yeah, I would. Yeah, yeah. But still, we'll just we'll just leave it out. So right now yeah. we have one more, one less, um, and one we'll we'll call it kind of in between, uh, and one not a push. Yeah, one push, one push. Johnny Furphy is at thirty four point eight percent. God, his, I mean, dude, his shooting stroke looks really good. Yeah. I mean, he's got a very, very fluid shooting stroke. I will say over, okay. but I don't think by much. Okay. I don't know if I feel great about that one. I could see it ending up around 33. It's a freshman. Okay. Uh, El Marco Jackson, 23.1. Yeah. I mean, I think over, but there's a lot of much... room to go over, but yes. I don't know that we've seen evidence to make you think over. Exactly. Like, I mean, if he could end up shooting. 28%, and that obviously would be over, but it's not a great number. Mm-hmm. So, so you're going more? I mean, you have to. There's no way a guard <laughs> is shooting under 23% from three. All right. Uh, by the end of the year. Nick Timberlake, 29.4%. I have faith up, right? he'll, he'll get okay. over. It just, then, it's just a matter of how much. I don't want to do Parker Brown either because that's, again, low volume. Uh, and then Jamari McDowell's at 33.3. I'll probably would go under on that one. Okay. So that gives you four that you picked over, two that you picked under, I believe. Yeah, but not over by much. For so, I mean, that's slight optimism. They can get better. I might have said the same with El Marco and under on Furphy, so I would actually be a little more pessimistic that it's going to get Which better. Which is interesting because see. I've already resigned myself to the fact that I don't think the shooting is going to be that <laughs> great overall. No. No. Okay, so, so where do you think KU does have the edge tonight? I mean, besides Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, and having Bill Self. Yeah, Allen Fieldhouse. They have the edge. Bill Self, they have the edge. Uh, KU 12-0 and against opponents that are ranked higher than them in the top 10 at home under Bill Self, which is just, I mean, that's just ludicrous. Yeah. That is beyond ludicrous. It doesn't even make sense. Like, that doesn't even compute in my brain that that's possible. Uh, so, besides those two factors, when you look at specifically the players on the court, I, I think a couple weeks ago I would have easily said, Oh, it's Dewan Harris. He's been he's he's a veteran point guard. He's the mo- one of the most experienced players on the floor. He's a floor general. He understands things. But but man, he's he's he in in that area he hasn't he's been a little shaky recently. So I'm a little nervous about that. I think he has he could easily snap out of it and reestablish himself quickly though. So uh, I'm tempted to go with that. Uh, and then uh, you know I think Kevin McCuller to me. Is this is a game? This is a game where I think Kevin McCuller can prove that he is 
the most important player in terms of the puzzle fitting together for this team. This is the game where he can prove it, right? If Hunter Dickinson gets kind of canceled out, you know, maybe Hunter, and when I say canceled out, I mean he might still have put up big numbers, but maybe he's not just dominating because of what UConn has. But to me, this is a game where Kevin McCuller can prove that he is actually maybe the most important player in terms of bringing it all together for this team. Yeah, I, I definitely think the Allen Fieldhouse uh, advantage, like this is the type of game that, that it does certainly come into play. Yeah, I mean, if this is on a neutral court, I have a lot less confidence, obviously. Yeah, I see. There's a part of me that wonders about transition play if KU has an advantage there. I, I don't know because UConn doesn't play at a super high tempo, but like they'll go when they have to, and they do have good athletes. So I don't know if that's something more to the liking of KU or not. Um, it's hard to say KU is – normally KU goes into every game and their strength is two-point offense and two-point defense. But KU is actually – behind UConn in two-point offense right now and behind UConn in two-point defense. Now, I also think Kansas played a much harder schedule yeah. um, to this point in time than yeah. what UConn has played. So maybe me looking at some of the raw data is skewing things a bit because right now, like on Ken Palm, Kansas has the 83rd hardest schedule, and that's even considering they've played like Eastern Illinois and Manhattan and North Carolina Central for basically half their games. UConn is at 349. Jeez. So, you well, know, that's because Indiana's... Yeah, stinks. so I mean, those so, boys stink. So what if they're just dominating twos only because of that? Whereas we've yeah. seen Kansas even be dominant at, at two point offense versus defense in like a Tennessee game and other games. So I I still think Kansas might have an edge there, um, and, and maybe just being battle tested. Maybe that's a way to put it. I mean, even though UConn played Texas, who's a good team, Texas right now is is ranked 29th on Ken Palm, and they're with Dylan DeSue like hasn't played yet, so. Or maybe he has. I just know he's injured right now. Is, is Gustavo Fring a fraud? Is Gustavo Fring a fraud? Well, they're six and one. That's their only loss. But still, like okay. they haven't been like blowing teams out. So they have dropped. In, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Being battle tested. Maybe more known commodity. I do actually. Even though there has been some people being like, "Oh, I don't know about the defense," though. I think Kansas has the better defense here tonight. I think UConn has a better defense for more types of matchups because Klingon is more mobile. Than what Hunter Dickinson is. So, like, they're more, um, I don't know, what's the word, like a chameleon where they can adjust to different matchups maybe a little better than KU can. But I okay. think on its worth for this matchup, I think KU has the better defense. So, I, I think that's something they can have an edge in as well. KU wins if what? Oh, man. I, I think, uh, well, kind of what I alluded to, I think KU wins if, if Kevin McCuller is the most important player on the floor. I, I actually think that because, again, I think. With with Hunter Dickinson and, and, and Klingon and all that, you know, those guys are, again, I use the term cancel out. I don't mean that Dickinson's not going to have a good game because I think he probably will. He's he's he is built for moments like this. I think uh, under the in the spotlight, like but dog in him. Yeah, but I think if Kevin McCuller is the most valuable player on the floor or the most important player on the floor, I'm very confident Kansas will win. Very confident. And if Dewan Harris just plays like we know he can play, yeah, and he doesn't struggle. I, so, Dewan Harris, if Dewan Harris is aggressive, if you told me Dewan scores like 12 or more points, I'd feel good. Uh, the other thing would be rebounding battle. Going back to that, if they win the rebound battle, I'd feel great about that, even if they're like even there. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen, but wouldn't that make you, if you take away one of their strengths and turn it into an, an equal, wouldn't that make you feel like they won? Sure. Yeah. Uh, same thing with the three point shooting. Like if you're even within one made three or something like that, like that kind of gets you there. The yep. big one for me is the turnover numbers. When you look to UConn, a lot of the games they lost last year were to teams who forced turnovers. And uh, when I look at it this year, they don't force a ton of turnovers. They've done a good job holding on the ball. KU has had too many turnovers offensively, and they haven't forced enough defensively. Now, last game, they did a much better job at both. 
Can you carry that over into this game? Because if you can, I think you win the game. Yeah. All right, we're going to talk more KU UConn throughout KU the show. KU fans, prepare to dislike Cam Spencer. <laughs> yes, that is right. He's probably going to hit like four threes tonight. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk some KU volleyball. They're moving on to round two of the NCAA tournament. Coming up next, this is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk about half past the hour. KU Volleyball sweeping Omaha last night. Cameron Turner was incredible. They they dominated the first set. Second set, a little closer. One uh, big kind of pulling away at the end. And yeah. then third set, they were down for a lot of it. Ended yeah. up coming back, and, and Turner kind of pulled them through. Uh, Reagan Cooper had another big game. She's just been kind of unstoppable on the pin for them. So uh, they get through. They get a sweep. Penn State, meanwhile, beat Yale in four sets, which means... In about two hours from now, KU going to be playing Penn State in volleyball at 5.30. Yeah, who knew that uh, Penn State would be in so much of KU-related news in the last, uh, you know, 72 to 48 hours. But uh, here we are. So, yeah, a great win for KU. You know, they had swept Omaha back earlier in the season. And when you look at Omaha's record, they were 15-13 and 13 coming in, I think. But uh, they played a really, really tough schedule. And yeah. they had gotten hot at the right time. Uh, they played a lot of tough non-conference games. Uh, and so that certainly wasn't the same team that KU had faced earlier in the season, but neither was KU. They they gotten better as well. And uh, it was nice to see Horse Finley Volleyball Arena getting loud for uh, for the Jayhawks. And mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think to your point, the third set was kind of what I was most impressed by because Omaha did kind of put up some fight there towards the end with their season on the line, and Kansas was able to rally it and keep things alive and made some big plays as well in that third set to get to get the win. So. Feeling pretty good, certainly, going into this game against Penn State. Uh, we've been talking about it throughout the week. Penn State is one of the most uh, history-rich volleyball programs out there. So this this would be a huge program win for Kansas to, to go up against a, a history-rich Big Ten opponent and uh, advance to the second weekend of the uh, volleyball tournament. Yep. All right, well, uh, we got a chance to hear from Ray Bouchard, head coach for the KU Volleyball team, Cameron Turner, the stud setter who won Big 12 Setter of the Year, Caroline Bn, who's an all-conference outside hitter, Reagan Cooper, all-conference player as well, dominant uh, hitter from the outside. Uh, after the game, after they took down Omaha, here is what that quartet had to say. First of all, I just want to congratulate Omaha on, uh, number one, a great season, and number two, the way they fought tonight. Um, they're, they're a little bit difficult to play in that. Uh, the tempo that they play at is very different than what we see in the Big 12, but I thought we responded extremely well in the moments that we needed to, um, served well, and uh, points scored well uh, when we needed to down the stretch. So obviously we're excited about the opportunity to advance. All right, we have microphones on both sides. Everyone can raise their hand, and we'll get a microphone to you. For both Cam and Carolina, I wonder how much the adrenaline and the atmosphere contributed to how you guys played, especially first set. Cam, you chased down that ball past the baseline, and, and your crowd cheering midpoint, and then you win the point. And I, I mean, a lot of those in the first set. How much was adrenaline pumping from what you guys were playing in front of tonight? Um, I would say you can definitely just feel the atmosphere, and when you make those big plays, or actually any play at all, you can just feel it, like the energy, like you know how much the KU nation is like behind you, so it helps a lot. Yeah, um, obviously, Horsch has been sold out many times this year, um, which we're so grateful for, but today was a little different. Um, had a few more people than we normally have, and the energy was just so awesome, so especially that first play. Cam always says, she never really hears anyone when she's playing. She's so locked in, but I bet she heard that one. <laughs> yes. 
And, and then, Reagan, I, I wonder, when you decided to come here, you know, I know you wanted to finish your, your career on a high note. Mm -hmm. Was it from moments like this, matches like this, and, and to do it at home and all that? Yes, absolutely. Um, it's so special to be able to, you know, finish off my career here. This is truly the best ending I could have had, and uh, this is my first time advancing in the first round of the tournament, so this is literally the best ending already. So, um, yeah, I'm excited, and everyone did so good tonight. Um, Coach Bouchard, what was the difference tonight, do you think? Um, obviously, the last time you guys hosted, it was before the renovations in Horsch. Do you think that made a difference in the atmosphere tonight? Yeah, it was, uh, um, I think it was 2016, maybe the last time. Uh, and it, obviously, it's always been a great place. But you know, to have people up up top and in the mezzanine, and and uh, somebody said that 98% of the tickets purchased were scanned tonight, which is unheard of. So that's that's a, just a true testament to um, this team and how this this uh, Jayhawk fan base has responded to this team. Uh, I'd come watch this team play too because they they play hard, they play together, and they play it the right way. And then, uh, Cam, what was kind of going through your head in that, the last moments of that last set? You had the back-to-back -back plays with that kill in the block, and I know Coach Bouchard, you went crazy for that kill on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> kind of how did that help shift your momentum and get you the results you were looking for? I think just kind of playing at ease and trying to just portray. Like, I'm, like, all cool and, like, calm and collected just so it uh, is um, infectious to the other team, but I don't know. We practice that all the time in practice, so I felt calm and like care, like fine in that moment. So it was cool. Coach, it feels like you have like eight stars on the team. Not even good players, but players that could be stars just about anywhere. How much does that help when the other team doesn't have a specific area that they can go after? Because everyone's you know a high caliber player. Yeah, we talked uh, since August about roster nineteen. And, uh, you know, with COVID and people getting a fifth year and uh, obviously you get grads, grad transfers, uh, the roster size is a little bigger than usual. And you could, that, that, can, that can tear a team up if, if people get uh, uh, dissatisfied uh, or it can really build uh, strength and character. And we've allowed it to really uh, be a strength of our team. And we can go deep if we need to. Um, we didn't use a ton of depth tonight, but... Uh, we can create offense from a lot of different places. Uh, defensively, we, we've got great balance. So we're happy that uh, people contribute um, at, in different ways, in different moments, uh, in different opportunities. And then for everyone, to get it done in the third set, to that extra rest before you play Penn State tomorrow, what was that mean? Um, I think that's huge. Um, we've, we've said the past couple um, couple matches, I mean, we're winning a lot of sets by two. There's a lot of close games, especially this time in the season, end of season. Um, and it's not always going to look pretty. It's not always going to be perfect. But just finding a way to win in big moments like that um, is really valuable, especially when you're playing back-to-back. -back. Um, have a quick turnaround game tomorrow. Um, so three sets instead of four, three sets instead of five is going to be really beneficial for us. Who's your guys? Third year in a row in the NCAA tournament, but the first one you guys have all been able to play here at home. How big of a difference is it being able to play here at home as opposed to having to go out on the road for the first few rounds of the tournament? 
I can just say already when we like had our pregame pass like and serve, it's just so familiar. And so it already takes like a layer of like nervousness off the table. And I feel like that helped for like the first timers that have been in the tournament like Bernie and Toy. Uh, this is for Cam and then Ray, if you could react off Cam's answer. It seemed like in that third set, uh, when you had the pair of aces, while well, you were trying to climb out of that deficit, that that was kind of a key for your turnaround. Did you see it that way? And Ray, can you respond after Cam's response? Um, I feel like, yeah, you can kind of, volleyball is a game of momentum, and you could just kind of feel the momentum shift after that. So for sure, that was a big moment in the third. Yeah, it was key. Um, you know, and we responded after, you know, a lengthy delay uh, in a challenge, and then we missed a serve after that. So for Cam to res uh, be our next server in that moment um, and, and gets, uh, gets back in the match effectively with her serve, um, certainly I think was one of the keys to that third set. And her getting that kill off Dalton, too, uh, I think to tie it at 22-all or whatever it was, uh, was a big moment as well. Ray, you guys are only a couple days removed from some pretty prestigious all-control honors for yourself and your players. Is what did those mean to you? Uh, how quickly did you sort of flush that and start focusing back on them? Yeah, I think this team's more interested in and uh, playing together as long as they can, and um, whatever that means. Um, we've got some people that are extremely uh, uh, deserving of the awards that came their way. But a lot of that's roster 19, winning 23 matches and winning 14 conference matches. Um, and then awards come your way. Uh, but uh, this group is, it, it is so tight and so excited about uh, every time they get to gather and compete that I know the, the, the main objective right now is how can we extend the opportunity to play together as long as we can. Jim, is that how you feel in the years pretty up there as well? Oh, yeah. I guess it's pretty cool. <laughs> but I don't know. It just goes back to my team. They gave me the ball to set, and all these people put it, put it away, so it just makes me look good. Ray, you were talking about the characteristics of this team. It's too many people want to come play. Just how important has Cameron been to cultivating that kind of uh, you know, chemistry and culture within the program? Best point guard on campus, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and that she... Uh, if she, if there's a play, she's in the middle of it. Obviously, offensively, she's going to direct our offense. Um, she's a great right back defender. Uh, she's humble. She competes with humility. Um, I believed in her a long, long time ago, and it's one of the best uh, decisions that uh, uh, we made as a staff when we said, "Yeah, we want this kid," because certainly she's been key to this this run, along with her and Carolina Ben partners uh, in this run that we've had um, and there's no reason why we can't keep it going. Cam, you said the other night that uh, at the selection show, Reagan Burns was heart racing, pumping, all that stuff. I wonder if all four of you, since she's a freshman and brand new to all of this, I wonder if all four of you could real quickly give a favorite moment of hers tonight. Quirky, competitive, whatever it was. Do you have one? Different ones? She should have served the dang ball in after that delay. No, <laughs> no she, uh, she got us on some serving runs. Uh, she passed the ball well. I don't know if there's one moment, and maybe that's what, Matt, maybe that's what um, is so good about Bernie. She's just steady. And you don't see, you don't see some, she makes a lot of great plays, but she makes some, um, 
so uh, regularly that they don't that they don't seem that way. So, you know, I'll probably speak for the group here unless they have something. But Bernie is consistently solid night in and night out, and you wouldn't have known that that, first, that was her first NCAA tournament match out there, the way she competed tonight. Then you guys um, obviously have made the tournament three years in a row. It feels like this year you're getting a lot more attention around campus, whether that's game attendance, um, support from other athletics administrations. What does that mean to you guys, um, obviously leading up to this tournament run, and how does it feel to know that you have all that support going forward? Um, yeah, we've definitely gotten a lot of attention the past week or so, um, the past couple weeks when it kind of got in everyone's heads that we might be hosting. Um, it's been like a really exciting moment um, from kind of thinking about that to watching the selection show, um, figuring out we do get to host, and then just kind of all the support from athletics, all the support throughout the whole university, um, other coaching staff, Travis Goff, our athletics director, um, Lance Leipold was there tonight. It's just really special to have um, everyone on your side, um, especially when you're at home. Um, it feels really good to have everyone behind you. And then Coach Bouchard, you said um, once again, you guys um, came out with that balanced offense today. You didn't have one star. How do you think that's going to help you in this next match against Penn yeah, State? Uh, Penn State, it'll be critical for us to create some offensive balance. Um, and I, we're certainly capable of doing that, and we know we'll have people that will be ready for that moment. And to, to your uh, prior question, I think that's just a, a reflection of the culture that Travis Goff has built here is that we are a family and we're going to support each other. Uh, I got to watch a little women's basketball this afternoon. I know we've got people watching volleyball. Uh, uh, so we, you go up and down my hallway, the head coaches, uh, we all, we all uh, count on each other and support each other. And, and you can see that uh, you can see that transition down into the teams, the way they support each other too. So it's pretty cool to see that happening uh, within our athletic department. Yeah, I'll always remember two years ago, uh, our station we went up to the, the games in Omaha when when Kansas won, beat Oregon, and then Creighton to go to the Sweet Sixteen, and that was the first year on the job for Lance Leipold, and him and his wife were there. And I remember after kansas upset creighton after they'd upset oregon to go to the sweet 16 as an unseated team i just remember ray bouchard and lance leipold kind of having a moment after the game so uh, i i think that's cool you get to see that uh kind of i don't know internal it seems like lance leipold and ray bouchard really get along and uh that i don't know i guess he really likes volleyball and it's just cool to have that athletic unity i guess would be the way of putting it yeah. by the way if ku beats penn state tonight do we get andy kotelnicki back mm, i just see people the- saying that of uh if ku <laughs> If KU wins, Penn State's got to send him back or, or something. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, like I said, I mean, it's kind of weird that Penn State is so much in the KU space in the last know, what, uh, what's going on? last two days. Uh, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's talk more about the Andy Kotelnicki stuff coming up on the other side. we still got to get to our Chiefs preview. Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports will join us at 4.30 with our game picks after that. More KU basketball coming in the 5 o'clock hour, including some KU basketball audio. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Derek Johnson from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, and despite sitting around in a studio all day, I feel loose and limber thanks to Massage Envy and their total body stretch service. If you have aches from a day at the office, working out, maybe a round of golf, Massage Envy can help. All you need to do is relax and breathe deep during the stretches, and they'll take it from there. It's great for your body and your mind, and they also have rapid tension services and advanced skin care. Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. 
Four o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports at 430. We've got our game picks after that. More KU UConn talk and some KU audio coming in the five o'clock hour here. Uh, so uh, the Chiefs have a game at the Packers on Sunday. And what, at I don't know, a couple weeks ago looked like it would be kind of a crummy game. Has all of a sudden turned into a very interesting game because Green Bay is kind of hot yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah. Jordan Love is uh, he's prime Tom Brady in the fourth quarter of games. Uh, yeah, but no, he's been really good. And the Packers, you know, we should have known all along with the game against the Lions on Thanksgiving being on a waxing moon that the Packers were going to win. Uh, so a big win for them certainly. And and dude, I mean, the Packers are not that far out of the NFC playoff picture. No, they're really not. It's wide open for the seven seed. Yeah, they they just beat the Chargers, and then they won at the Lions, uh, and that was kind of an eye-opening game. Obviously, Jordan Love looked really good. Now, for Jordan Love, if you remember, his first career start yep. was against the Chiefs a couple yep. of years ago, and he really struggled. that was the game around. where the Chiefs screwed around and almost let him win. They did, yeah, because the offense didn't really do anything that game, but yeah. they, they shut down Jordan Love in that game. So, uh, it becomes an interesting game. It's obviously at Green Bay. It's a Sunday Night Football game, which I think uh, it's supposed to snow. Entry. Is it really? I think so, yeah. Who's that favor? the forecast. Uh, favor? I don't think it favors anybody, to be honest. I think it favors the Chiefs. Maybe. Because, okay, so typically you think of with snow games, you think, oh, it's going to be a low-scoring game and everything. Remember the Iowa State-K-State game from a week ago? That was like, <laughs> well, what, 42-35, 49-32? in a million 49, game. That was one in a I know it was, game. but, okay, sometimes you think snow is going to lead to low scoring. Well, low sometimes scoring would does. be good. The Chiefs' offense is terrible. I know, I know. The defense is good. Low scoring is good for them. It's snow and wind that leads to low scoring. And a lot of times wind is associated with snow. But if it's just snow, it actually helps the offense. Oh, because you're, the you're offense, all just Derek. No, no, I'm being serious. Like, the offense... Um, knows what, what route you're running. They know what play they're running. Yeah. So you're going to get an added advantage because it's harder to cut in the snow that if you're Travis Kelsey, you're going to be able to get more open in a game like this if there is snow, as long Could as be. there's not wind because the wind can kill some of the passing games. I don't know. That might actually Could help be. the Chiefs. Yeah. yeah. Um, what scares you the most about what the Packers do well? Yeah, so they don't have uh, Aaron Jones. He'll be out. Yep. So they're probably going to be relying on their passing AJ Dillon. more. I honestly, I look at their edge rushers probably is the biggest concern for this game. Rashawn Gary for them has been having a really, really solid Excellent. season. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I'm blanking on the guy they have on the other side. It's Gary and who's the guy on the other on the, on the other side? Uh, can't think of his name right now. I'm blanking on it. Uh, but they've got the edge rushers have been really, really good for the Packers this season, and the offensive line for the Chiefs. The tackles have been shaky. Kenny Clark. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Preston uh, Smith. Yeah, Preston Smith, right? Quay Walker. Yeah. <laughs> Just naming names on the defense. I don't know. So they've been really, really good on the edge. And I think with the Chiefs offensive line and their tackle issues they've had with Jawan Taylor and Donovan Smith, not even necessarily – I mean, I think the concern, it's beyond just them getting sacks. It's if you're giving up sacks plus – you already got two tackles that are being penalized a lot, and now maybe they're getting flagged for more holding calls. You know, there's other issues I think beyond just the uh, just the fact that they could get some sacks on Mahomes. So that's probably the area that concerns me the most for the Packers. And uh, again, I think we, we've kind of gotten to the point now where I'm in the boat of like every week, just give him, just give Pacheco the ball, just give him the ball, let let Pacheco do his thing, man. Let him cause an earthquake every time he runs because that's what he does, just stampeding. He is stampeding everywhere, everywhere he goes. I wonder if his running style would be better or worse in the snow. Probably 
better because he's not really a, he's not really he's a shifty really guy, shifty. right? Yeah, he's not really shifty. So he doesn't have to worry about slipping. He just stomps the ground really hard. But, but with how he hard runs. he hits the ground, would that make him slip? Because <laughs> he doesn't I, I, get like don't know. good footing there. I don't know. So, don't know. so the Packers are, are they're basically middle of the pack in the NFL in like offensive and defensive DVOA. They have not been a, a good special teams unit there. They're 30th in the NFL in that area. Um, when you look at the the points for their 18th in the NFL, points against their 10th in the NFL. Uh, they've not turned it over much offensively. They don't really force a lot of turnovers defensively, but the Chiefs do turn it over, uh, which is a little bit scary here. They are uh, the Packers 17th in passing yards. They're 9th in passing yards allowed. Uh, on running the football, they are 21st in rushing yards, 19th in yards per attempt rushing, and defensively 27th in rushing yards allowed, 23rd in ru- yards allowed. So, um, They've been a better pass defense than a run defense. And to that notion, Isaiah Pacheco. Pistachio. Let him eat. Give him Pistachio. the ball. <laughs> Give him the ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. so we'll see what happens on the road. I mean, for the Chiefs, this is a game where uh, you'd like to see them take care of business here and maintain that that race for the one seed in the AFC. It's looking more and more important. When you look at the receiving core, listen, Justin Watson, I, I like him. I think he's good. Um, I think Justin Watson's actually pretty good. I'm on board with Justin Watson. Uh, Rushy Rice is coming along, obviously. Even Sky Moore against the Raiders made some plays. So uh, I I think the Chiefs' offense is maybe slowly starting to to figure it out a little bit, uh, and we'll see if that continues this week against the Raiders. So and then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, one of the interesting things is Nick Bolton possibly coming back. What does that do for the Chiefs? Because they've been great with Drew Tranquil. Do you take Drew Tranquil off the field with Nick Bolton coming back? I mean, how can you do that? How can you take a guy off the field can. who's been so good? I think you just have to shift around positions. Maybe maybe it's just, I, I don't the, know. The, what, week, Willie Gay's been good, too? You taking Willie Gay off been, the field? No, I, I don't know that you can't. Maybe, uh... Leo Chanel, you're taking him off the field then? I mean, a little bit for Bolton. Uh, Chanel has been really good, too. But, yeah, he's more of, like, a specific tool for, you know, blitzing or stopping the run. Yeah. Maybe it's just, you know, five less snaps for Drew Tranquil and seven less snaps for Lily Gay and ten less snaps for Leo Chanel, and maybe it's more of a, a seamless transition into Nick Bolton uh, coming along this year. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's a it's a problem, but it's a good problem to have, you know, having that depth and, and at that position. Like, the Chiefs have one of the best linebacker cores in the NFL, certainly. Uh, as far as the biggest advantage for the Chiefs in this game, I mean— it, it, as good as Jordan loves playing, obviously Patrick Mahomes is going to be an advantage every game for you. But yeah, I, I think it is the ability of the Chiefs' defense in this one to kind of stonewall an opposing offense. That yeah. I don't know what to expect from the Chiefs' offense in this game because against the Raiders, after they dropped down fourteen nothing, the offense looked great, and yeah. part of that was Rashi Rice kind of exploding and having a, a breakout game, so to speak. Is that going to be something that carries over this week? Is it not? If that is something that carries over, if Rashi Rice has another great game, that's going to be such a huge takeaway. Is that vindication at that point that he? I think it is vind- that Rashi Rice has arrived. Is legit, right? Because right now it's one good game. It's okay. That was really cool, but is it consistent? I haven't even paid attention. Is, is does Kadarius Tony have any chance of playing? I don't even know. Um. Yeah, that I don't know either. I, mean, I he's think got a hip, he's for sure. Got a toe, right now. he's got a blah blah blah. He's got. He's got. Being soft, everything. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah. Harbin's on IR, I think. For, so he's out for sure for four weeks. Or yeah, I guess three weeks now. He's going to be out for a little bit of time now. Yeah, but Richie James, Richie James, back. He is back. Play a little bit. Playing a little bit. Returning punts. 
So doing some things. Yeah. R.I.P. Montreal, Washington. Mm. Can't get him back. No. They have Mr. James back. Okay, Chiefs win if what? I think the Chiefs probably will win if they do get Pacheco the ball quite a bit and uh, have some success in that area. Uh, you know, uh, or I think also let Travis Kelsey cook. I don't know if you saw possibility of Taylor Swift being at the game. What do you think of that? Taylor Swift. Uh, does it do more or less for me? It does more because Travis Kelsey's going to go off. But hasn't that stat kind of dipped down? No, it's been the no Wasn't the Raiders like, game. The Raiders game was the outlier. Okay, wasn't she there she for like wasn't the there. Germany game though too? And she, he didn't do really anything. No, she wasn't in Germany. She wasn't okay. I don't think. Okay. No, we'll she see. wasn't in Germany. We'll see. But she was, or she wasn't at the Raiders game, and the Raiders game is the outlier because he because Travis Kelsey had a good game, but he always has a good game against the Raiders. So you know, I uh, hmm, I what? I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure he's still on pace for like 1,200 yards, which is crazy because it feels Kelsey? like he's been. Doubled and triple teamed into almost being a little more non-existent the last couple weeks. Of course, there was that one unbelievable throw from Mahomes to him last week, but uh, it's just been tougher for him. But maybe for Rashi Rice after last week, it opens things up a little bit more for Travis Kelsey in this one. Yeah, yeah. Just give it to Pistachio. Give it to Pacheco. Twenty uh, carries. Let him cook. More. Yeah. More. <laughs> no. No. First of all, Andy Reid is incapable of giving him more than twenty carries. He 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 can't do it. He's like got a. He, he it's like he's got a. He's got a microchip in his brain that says, nope, Tony carries, can't do it. Sorry. <laughs> Error. Could not compute. I, For me, the Chiefs win if they don't do stupid stuff with turnovers. I mean, the Chiefs are the better team here. Obviously. Yes. And the Packers, while they are hot, the Chiefs are still the better team. Right. And then the most points that the Chiefs have given up this season, I think, is what, 24? Yeah, they have, yeah, they're the only team in the NFL that hasn't given up 25 points. And even then, it was a game that I'm pretty sure they got like a, a defensive touchdown in that game from the defense. So even then, it was like you really only gave up like 17. And if if you're setting the mark at, okay, the Packers might score 17 to 20 points, can the Chiefs offense do more than that? You would think. You would think so. Hasn't answer, always been the case this year, yes. but you would think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, th- this feels like a, this feels to me like a, we are fine, everything's good type game for the Chiefs, where... Maybe you look at the scoreboard and they don't blow out the Packers, but I think they will thoroughly be the better team throughout. That's yep. kind of the current vibe that I'm getting from this game uh, because the Chiefs have those types of games. Now, uh, we talked about this, I think, earlier in the week, but something else, the Chiefs don't have a single team remaining on their schedule that's over 500. That's crazy. Not one. The Bills were the only team on their schedule that was over 500. Yeah, I mean, obviously that can change because if the Bills win a game, well, the Bills, they're gonna, Packers win, they're gonna win straight. The, the Bills are going to win against the Chiefs next week. And they'll be back to over 500. I have never seen you more convinced that one of the, you know, I I don't know that that a team is going to lose than I am with the Chiefs to the Bills. Yes. <laughs> well, obviously, normally, you know, I'm I'm convinced the Chiefs are going to win every game. Right. Complete but, opposite. Uh, no, I no, the Bills are going to win. Okay, for sure, hundred percent. Well, beyond uh, the Chiefs game on Sunday Night Football, it is also the last week of the college football. I don't even know. Does this count as the regular season still? Or is this the no, postseason? This is the postseason. This is the postseason. Conference championship. Yeah. Conference championships. But we still have Navy Army next week. That's a regular season game. This is postseason. Okay. This is postseason. Well, either way, this is the last set of, I guess, real games before college football playoff comes out and everything. We talked about this a little earlier in the week, but it could get absolutely chaotic. I think yeah. realistically, there are eight teams well, that can still make the we playoff. We got to bring right up now. the fact that Florida State is going to be 
not with Tate Rodemaker, it doesn't sound like. Yeah, and we'll get to that in the game picks specifically. But, yeah, the line has dropped to uh, one and a half. Yeah, Tate Rodemaker is questionable. He's the backup. Suffered yeah. a big, like, it was, what, helmet-to-helmet hit or something yeah, against yeah, see, uh, yeah, Florida? Yeah, head injury, concussion. Something. So, yeah, I mean, they, they could easily lose. Game-time decision. So, what I want to do, I want to go through real quick every team that has a shot at making the playoff and, and what is their path to making it. Okay. Georgia, they just have to win. Easily. Yeah. If they lose, they still have a shot. They probably are still in, yeah. But it depends on what else happens. So, obviously, no one is even considering this because it seems ludicrous, but what happens if Michigan loses? <laughs> I don't think they'd make it. Well, okay, it depends on what else happens around them. Because here's the issue you run I mean, into. everybody, I know the, the I mean, they're, they're you know, they're 20-plus point favorites. Right. Everyone, Iowa's a joke. But uh, what if what if Iowa does the unthinkable? It, it, okay, so if that happens, basically, here's what you're left with. If Georgia wins, they're in. If Texas wins, I think being, I don't know, it'd be close. I think they'd get in over Michigan. Yeah. Um, if Florida State wins, you're undefeated. They're in over Michigan at that point. And then I think the winner of the Pac-12. So I don't think Michigan would make it. But what happens if, you know, Alabama beat, well, if Alabama beat Georgia, then both of those might be in over Michigan. If Texas were to lose or Florida State were to lose, maybe Michigan still makes it. So I, I think Georgia win, you're obviously in. Lose, you have a chance at it, depending on what else happens. Michigan, you win, you're obviously in. Lose, still have a chance at it. Um, Texas, if they lose, they're out. Texas could win, and they're going to need probably Florida State to lose. At least. To get in, right? I think, yeah, at least. It might help them if Alabama beats Georgia. Because at that point, they might be attached to the hip where it's like, we have the same record, we won at you by 10 points, and we both win conference championship. Um, so that would be something that would boost them in. But if Alabama loses and Texas wins, I don't think Texas gets in. Yeah. Unless maybe Florida State loses... And then you would have a discussion between possibly a one-loss Washington, possibly, um, I, I guess, even like, would one-loss Ohio State be ahead or behind uh, Texas? I think I, I earlier in the week I was like kind of trying to mentally gymnastics myself into into Ohio State having a chance. I, I think they're. Close. I do think they're they have not. a chance, but here's what it would have to look like: Texas would have to lose to Oklahoma State, Georgia would have to beat Alabama, and Florida State would have to lose to Louisville, right? If all those things happen, at least, and at Washington least. would have to beat Oregon, because if all those things happen, then you end up with Georgia, Michigan, Oregon, and then it slides up Ohio State. So that's their only way of making it. They need pure chaos this week. Yeah, I did see a a, a strategy that was floated for the Iowa Michigan game. Iowa <laughs> takes the ball first, okay, at the twenty five yard line. On first down, they punt. Oh, and they pin Michigan <laughs> inside their own ten yard line. They get a safety. That's a long punt. They get the ball back again off the free kick. They punt again on first down. They get another safety, and they just repeat that cycle over and over. See, over. They're just expecting their punter to have sixty-five yard punts. <laughs> That's the strategy. Okay, it'll be interesting to see. That's the strategy. Okay, so let's say this happens. Let's say all the all the big teams win. So let's say Georgia wins, Michigan wins, Washington wins. Actually, no. Let's go with Oregon because they're favored. So let's just say the favorites win. So Georgia wins, Michigan wins. Oregon wins, Texas wins, Florida State wins. Am I missing someone? I'll give you five, right? Mm. I don't think I'm missing anyone. Yeah, no, I'm not. Yeah, okay. Who gets in? Which of those uh, four, four of those, which four of those five get in? Georgia, Michigan, Oregon. Florida State uh, Florida or Texas. State. Okay, I agree. I think. Well, I don't know, maybe. No, I agree. I, I think that's what would happen in that scenario. Now, let's go with this scenario. <laughs> 
Michigan wins. Oregon wins. Texas wins. Florida State wins. Bam. Alabama wins. Yeah. So now you have 12-1 Alabama, 12-1 Georgia. Who gets in? Michigan, obviously. Michigan. And then outside of that, which Oregon. of the three of one loss Oregon, one loss Texas, undefeated Florida State, uh, one loss Georgia. Michigan, Oregon, Bama. Maybe If you're Texas. putting in Bama, how do you not put in Texas? Unless I said maybe Texas. So then you're leaving out undefeated Florida State. Yes. Okay. I think that's possible. I think that's very possible. I think that's what I would do because I thought about this more, and, and we talked about this earlier in the week. I mean, it, dude, it they is, care about ratings. I know, but like put here's third the, string quarterback Florida State in there. I understand Florida State undefeated. I've gone back and forth this in my head. Let, let also, me take, the ACC is terrible. Yeah, so, so here's the thing. Florida State being undefeated, yes, an undefeated Power 5 deserves to be in the playoff. It is the best four teams, and the more I've thought about this, Okay, but we don't automatically put an undefeated group of five team in the playoff. So why should an undefeated Florida State be guaranteed in with a third string quarterback? Then Especially again, when their ACC is terrible. Then again, we saw Ohio State win the title with a third string quarterback after getting in. So is that a, is that an unfair way to just eliminate them for that? I I don't have the answer here, but I I would say if that does happen, I would actually be fine if Florida State was left out. I don't think they would do it. Um, honestly, yeah, I think the only this people thing that would gets be mad so much easier if Florida State loses to Louisville. Yes. This becomes so much easier. The only people that would be mad about Florida State missing the playoff, I think, would be Florida State fans. I don't think yeah. anybody else wants to watch them with a third string. No, I don't I don't think so either. If you're looking for the most competitive games, which I know that's not the committee, the, the goal here games, is to say ratings. make the most competitive games. It's to pick the four best teams, but that does kind of go in line with it. So I would understand, like I I would if you were a fan base of Florida State, if if this was Kansas and they were undefeated and they were on Cole Ballard. You'd be pretty pissed if they got left out if they were undefeated in the Big 12 just because they were on their third string. You would. So I can understand that, and and I'm for that reason, I'm fine if Florida State's in. But if they do end up saying, like, Alabama beats Georgia, and they say we're going to have Bama, Texas, Michigan, and Oregon or something like that instead of them, I think I'm actually okay with it. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek yeah. Johnson. We're going to be joined by Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports, and then we'll get to our game picks after that. You're listening to RCST. This is KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depending on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We've got your Kansas-UConn game coming at you tonight. Pre-game 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock. Here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. Joined now by Lee Sterling of Paramount Sports. As the calendar moves to December, the football still just as good. Uh, Lee, thanks for hopping on today. As always, we're going to start up in the Big Ten Championship. Michigan is giving up 23.5 points against Iowa. Who do you like here, and how many points does Iowa score? I mean, how about the futures? And, and you can bet... Uh, first and second half over under for Iowa. I've never seen this in a championship series. I think Northwestern in a couple games they had the over under at a half a point. <laughs> it's a half a point for for Iowa to score over under in each half. So you know maybe they can get a field goal. You know they get a turnover and you know they they maybe get a first down and line up for a forty forty five yard field goal, but. Other than that, the only other way I can see him scoring is maybe off the special team score, but they can't return a punt anymore. DeGene's gone for the year, so that's out the window. Maybe they block a punt, but Michigan's not going to play like they played last week, but they did uh, They did a number on them a couple of years ago, 142-3. I don't think it's going to be as bad, but 
I have one in this game, 31-3. 31 to 3. So would you take the under on that uh, over under first half point five <laughs> points? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> okay, love it. Uh Oregon <laughs> is playing tonight in the Pac-12 Championship game minus 9 and a half taking on the Huskies of Washington who beat them earlier in the regular season. Yeah, what's crazy is first line the first game was 3 and a half Washington was favored. Now on a neutral site, not Eugene, the Ducks are 9 and a half 10. That's crazy. But I thought Oregon was a better team when they played the first game, which Washington won 36-33. I thought their head coach Lanning made some mistakes. He went for it twice on fourth down when he should have gone for field goals. They also missed a field goal. And uh, in that game, they also were outstatted by almost 130 yards. I, I just I watched this Oregon team. They are a different team since that game. They've gotten better and better. I think Bo Nix with 37 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. I think he's going to win the Heisman regardless. They are 10 and 2 against the spread since uh, the start of the season. And Michael Penix, great that one game. Great. I don't think he can do it again. He's been ordinary the last six games, and all six wins have been by eight points or less, while the Ducks have won every game by nine points or more here. I think revenge is going to be sweet. I like Oregon, 42-24. I'm going off the beaten path here before we get to our next game because I I do have a theory, and and I do agree with you. I I like Oregon there. But hypothetically, if you did think Washington was the play or or, you're in on Washington for whatever reason, would you actually be better off instead of picking them to win tonight or you know betting on them or whatever? I think Michael Penix is going at fifteen to one to win the Heisman, and I, I agree with you there. With you know, it, yep. it seems like it's Bo Nix versus Jaden Daniels. But if Washington does win tonight, is it is it almost uh, under the assumption Michael Penix goes off, and so theoretically you'd be better off odds wise just taking Michael Penix to win the Heisman than picking Washington? I agree. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Okay. Uh, Florida State is minus 2.5 against Louisville. Some questions about the starting quarterback for Florida State. Who do you like in the ACC championship? So uh, I'm pretty sure it's true. I heard early in the morning from someone involved with their program that he was still in concussion protocol. Even if he plays, I mean, I like Louisville. They only had 224 total yards in the game last week against Florida, and this Florida team is not impressive this year. Florida ran for 146 yards on them and dominated them for three quarters here. So I think Florida State's biggest asset is their receivers, but it looks like it's going to be raining almost the entire game. If that's the case, it's going to be tougher to throw the football with your second and maybe your third string quarterback. And how about this? I I thought this was strange. Don't see this too often, but certain teams, after a loss, come back and play great. The Cardinals had three games where they turned the ball over three times. First two games, after they turned it over three times, they played Notre Dame and played their best game, 33-20. Second time, they played Duke and shut out Duke 23 nothing. I know they lost to Kentucky, turned the ball over three times. I just think they're one of these Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde teams. I like Louisville here outright, 30-24. to Georgia is minus five and a half against Alabama in the SEC championship. So both teams sleepwalking last week. Alabama's going to get all the talk because they convert on that fourth and 31. But Georgia wasn't great at all. I mean, they won 31-23 over Georgia Tech. Their defense, good, but nowhere close to the last couple of years. They've allowed 4.9 yards per carry the last two weeks against Tennessee and Georgia Tech, while Alabama 
has averaged almost six yards per carry running the football the last four weeks. I, I think the difference here, both offensive and defensive lines are pretty much a push, is the fact that Jalen Milrow, his dual threat ability and his ability to extend plays, I think he's going to be able to buy some time and own some big plays here. And I know Georgia's won 29 straight games, but Alabama's won seven of the last eight in this series, and they have all the motivation. I think Georgia's still got a better than 50% chance if they lose by seven points or less, they'll still be in. I like Alabama. Roll Tide, 27-23. The Longhorns of Texas, Big 12 Championship. That's uh, the early game on Saturday. They're minus 14-and-a-half against Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State? Well, Mike Gundy's owned them. I, I don't know how. I don't know how he's been able to do it. But this team is limping down the stretch. I mean, they had trouble beating Houston. They came back from two touchdowns down. They beat a BYU team where they were two touchdowns down again in double overtime last week. And this BYU team might be the worst BYU team last 30, 40 years. So give the kids credit, give the coaching staff credit. Talent-wise, I think they're maybe the seventh or eighth eighth most talented team in the Big 12. As a team, I I, I, I think Texas and a few other teams like Oklahoma are, are much better than them. Maybe even Kansas State on, on most Saturdays. I just think that this Oklahoma State team is – not a team of destiny. They're just a team, a lot of hard workers. But they're going to be faced, I think. I think they're going to have trouble. they got to get a lot of four, five, six yards on first down. They end up in a lot of down-and-distance situations. That's where Texas will make you pay. I think Texas is motivated. I think they're better offense, defense, and special teams. And they want to do it for style points. they got to do whatever they can. They're not taking guys out if they get up three or four touchdowns. Texas big here. Sometimes you got to lay it if you want to play it. 41-13. The free play this week features the Sunday night football game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Green Bay Packers. Chiefs are minus six. How do people get that free play? So this is what I'm going to do. There's two games I like a lot in the NFL. Kansas City and Green Bay and also San Francisco and Philly. Maybe one of the best games of the year. I will get both games for free. you got to be one of the first five callers. Call 800 400 Nine seven four one. First five callers get it for free, and we call this month not December. We call it Double Down December. You can get this weekend starting tonight all the championship games. You can get I think it's like thirty five bowl games through December thirty first. And in the NFL, we've only had two losing Sundays the entire year. Everything I've got in college football and the NFL through December thirty first. Last year was four ninety seven. I didn't even want to do 397. I want to make sure everyone joins, and I know if I win for them, they're going to want to continue, go through the Super Bowl, try out maybe a couple other sports. We've got UFC also going this weekend. We've got a big play there. $297 from now through December 31st, double down December. Specials up and available, just one place, ParamountSports.com. Well, Lee, I appreciate the time as always, man. Happy holidays, and uh, we'll talk to you in a few weeks down the road, and good luck this weekend. Sounds good, guys. Take care. All right, that's Lee Sterling, Paramount Sports, joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to take some of that knowledge, give our game picks coming up on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. 
It's that time of the week on Rock Chalk Sports Talk for game picks of the biggest games ahead from this weekend. Well, that sounds great. And you know what? It'll be nice having a little extra cash to bet on college football. Right here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Yeah, I'd like to bet 100 bucks. You want to pick a team? No, just take it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to talk some more Kansas UConn, get to our KU basketball game picks, some prop bets for the game too, and Rock Chalk Pickahawk, as well as some KU basketball audio, all that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour here on RCST. You can listen to the UConn game. Pre-game starts at 6.30, tip-off at 8 o'clock right here on KLWN and our sister station, 105.9 KISS. we got to get to our game picks, though, for the weekend of college football. Nick on the season is 69-52-5. I am 65-58-3 when you total it up with college football, NFL, and our locks. Yeah, you've rallied big time. I have rallied. Uh, college football, you were 30-28. and 28. You know where I did not rally, though, last time we did this? Because we didn't do it last week. We did it the week before. I was 0-5 in college football. <laughs> so, And that was the week after I went 5-0 and in college football. Everything finds its balance, does it not? True. Uh, yeah, so true. I'm 25-33-2 in college true. football. All right, first up, we have Oregon, minus 9.5 versus Washington. Yeah, uh, but we just heard from Lee about mm-hmm. the line in this game being kind of maybe it's surprising. Uh, and I don't know. Maybe this is a Vegas knows something where they want you to pick Washington, but Oregon's going to blow them out. I don't know. I think it's going to be a close game regardless. I think Penix is like – might have an injury, though. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I'm going to take Washington here. I think it'll be a close close enough game. I don't know that Washington's going to win, but I think they'll keep it close. Yeah, so it, this line opened at like 6.5. And, and, and I honestly, like I was going into the weekend before I saw the line come out when I knew it was Oregon-Washington because Washington won the first game by three at home, field goal, you know, crazy stuff, uh, whatever. I was like, I'm going to hammer Oregon in the Pac-12 title. I think they're the better team. I was expecting it to be like a three-point line. Then it was six, and I was like, ah, I don't know what to do. Now it's nine and a half. Our, uh, Parker Fleming, Stats of War, he, he does predictions, and that had it at like a five-point game. I think the the hype has gotten too much into the, oh, Oregon's the better team. Of course, they're going to win this. I think they're going to win the game, but yeah, I think nine and a half is too much. I still think these two teams are close together. I think Oregon wins by a touchdown, maybe by three points. Give me Washington with the nine and a half. Yeah. Number 18, Oklahoma State. Number seven, Texas. Longhorns giving up 15 and a half. Oh, man. Yeah, this is a, an interesting one for sure. I mean, everything tells you Texas all the way. I mean, Texas is going to steamroll them. But, you know, Oklahoma State's been really up and down to end the season. I mean, think about it. They almost they almost threw away their chance to be in the title game, right? With that double overtime win against BYU, they get blown out by UCF. Uh, but six, 15 and a half points, that's a lot of points. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with Oki. What's scary is that when Oklahoma State's lost, Boy, if they lost. They just get destroyed. You know? Yes. They just so that's get what scares you destroyed. here, that they could just get housed. But uh, you heard Lee mention it. Mike Gundy has done really well against Texas. They've won the last two. They have won six of the last eight. Um, let's see. So, okay, since 2010, they have won three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine of the 13 meetings. Wow. So, like, he's done really well against Texas. I, I think this would be classic Oklahoma State to keep this one close. Ollie Gordon goes off in this game. Quinn yeah. Ewers hasn't looked the same since coming back from injury. No, no, Obviously, uh, without Jonathan Brooks, that's hurt their offense, even though they have a, a good stable of other backs. I'm going to go Oklahoma State as well. Number one, Georgia is minus five against number eight, Alabama in the SEC I've been title. saying it for like the past six weeks or even longer. Alabama is going to win the SEC. Time to put my money where my mouth is. Alabama. 
I'm going Georgia. I think this is a good week for Georgia. Uh, mm. My worry here for Alabama is that if if you make Jalen Milrow just a passer, what's going to happen? That's easier said than done for a lot of teams. Yeah, yeah. Georgia is a team that can make that happen. Maybe. So give me Georgia minus five. Okay, I'm telling you, roll tide, baby. Now, listen, Alabama. I, as a man who has dude, a bunch I told of you, futures, they're going to win the national championship. Hey, I, I put a bunch of futures on Alabama when they were 15 to one, when they were like 12 to one to win the national title. Good. I, I would love to have you're, it happen. You're, you're going to be a very happy man. Hopefully, in, in a month. Number two, Michigan minus 22 against number 16, Iowa. Ah, <sighs> dude. Again, I mean, dude, 22 points. I mean, Iowa. <laughs> Uh, did they have a chance? I don't. I don't think so. Well, the I don't one know. thing going your way is that honestly, Iowa's defense is good enough that they could hold Michigan to twenty-one points. But the, the thing, well, the, the issue is like, you can't even basically try to spin it and be like, well, Iowa's, you know, they can play ball control and, and shorten the game. They can't do that because that requires getting first downs, and they can't do that. So, I, I, I don't know, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something really stupid. I'm gonna take Iowa. Okay, you you just describe why why are you taking Iowa? Because it's because it it goes against all logic. That's why. But for some reason, I think that means it's gonna work. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, it, it definitely pos- maybe Michigan has like a letdown game after. I don't know, man. I, I just if you're taking I Iowa the, plus the twenty-two, is, I think you have to accept. The thing is, is like best case for Iowa is that somehow it's like fourteen nothing going mm-hmm. into the fourth quarter. But even then, I feel like Michigan could easily overwhelm them and score they two could. touchdowns and win 28 nothing or something like that. I think best case for Iowa is they score 10 points. That's best case. <laughs> and probably the touchdown would have to be defensive <laughs> or special teams. That's best case. So you have to accept, can they hold Michigan to 31 or less? Ideally, 24 or Dude, less. I, they can. I'm just saying, what if they, what if they like, they, what if Ferentz is like, you know what? Yeah. I get it. Everyone's dogging us. Everyone thinks we don't have a chance. We're just gonna do some sort of radical game plan. We're gonna totally change everything we do, or so, I don't know, something crazy. Does Iowa instill thoughts of radical game plan <laughs> to you? Because it certainly doesn't to me. Deacon Hill this no, year has a thoughts, 22.4 QBR. Nick. They instill thoughts of I formation HB dive. Yeah, Deacon Hill has a 48% completion rate this year. Uh, I'm going Michigan. I think they pound them. I, I think it's like 38 they, to three. They probably will. Yeah, they probably will. Number 14 Louisville. Number four Florida State. The uh, Seminoles are giving up one and a half. Yeah, I mean, obviously, like we just talked with Lee about it, the the situation with Rodemaker makes this game rather interesting. I don't even know who the third string is for Florida State. Uh, I can't imagine that he's particularly great. Uh, so, and, and Andy Kolnick, he's not walking through that door for Florida State. He's walking through the door for Cole Penn Ballard State. ain't walking through that Cole door. Cole Ballard ain't yeah. walking through that door, Seminoles. Okay? So, uh, dude, I, I don't know, man. I mean, this is the classic test of, if you have enough talent everywhere else, can you still win? I'm going to go with Louisville. I'm hoping one of two things happens. Either Florida State blows out Louisville yeah. to where it's like, okay, it doesn't matter. They, have to they are good enough. Put them in. Or they lose. I don't want to see them win by three points on a last-second field goal yeah, by tough. the 13 to 10 where it's like, yeah, this is not one of the four best teams, but they have to make it because they're undefeated. Yeah. I hope that doesn't that, happen. That would suck. For sure. I think Louisville pulls the upset. Uh, Louisville's got a good running game. Uh, Jack Plummer, I, I think, has been good enough in key moments. He's kind of inconsistent, but he makes some of the big plays. I think with the third-string quarterback, Louisville able to pull the upset over Florida State. What is your lock of the week? My lock of the week is the over in Michigan. No, you are not doing this. That's your lock of the week. Over 34 and a half. Oh. What if what if Iowa gets shut out? At 35 nothing. 31 nothing. 35 nothing. Okay. 
Good luck. Uh, this this is this is basically me heading. You realize you realize the average over under of Iowa games this year was like thirty five or something, and they yes. went ten and two on the no, under. No, I'm aware. Yes. Okay. No, this is me hedging my Iowa pick. All right. I am going to take Miami of Ohio plus eight against Toledo. Uh, they played earlier this year. Miami of Ohio lost by four. So this is the MAC title game. Yes, MAC title game. Uh, Miami of Ohio lost by four, so it was a close game. On top of that, typically, you look at a lot of these MAC title games in the past. Last year was the exception to this. A lot of times, the underdog ends up coming through with a victory or a cover. Give me Miami of Ohio plus eight against Toledo. The uh, Red Hawks. Red, Red Hawks against the Red uh, Rockets. Red Hawks. Red Hawks. Red Hawks. Okay. Yeah. Onto the NFL. You are thirty-five and eighteen. I am thirty and twenty-four. First Ooh. up. Detroit Lions minus four and a half at the Nolan Saints. Thirty-five and eighteen. Yeah. Sheesh. Went Pretty good. One and four last week though, or last time we did. Okay. This. Well, you didn't need to bring that part up. <laughs> uh, yeah. Give me Detroit, dude. I mean, the Saints are terrible. Mm. They stink. Derek Carr fraud. He sucks. Why are we not playing Jameis? Or is Jameis even on the Saints? Yeah. He is. Still. Okay. He still. Yeah. Is. Okay. Yeah. Why are we not playing Jameis? Free Jameis. The society would, you know, that meme of like society. Mm-hmm. If it's society, if James Winston played for, was a starting quarterback for the Saints, all would be right in the world. Give me the lines. So I'm gonna go Detroit here. It's more about me not thinking New Orleans is very good. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. No, this has nothing to do with Detroit. This has everything to do with the Saints being bad. But see, that's what scares me. Could you not see this being okay? Detroit loses, and then they lose back-to-back games to the Packers and Saints, and everybody starts being like, "Okay, maybe Detroit isn't." That it, this good. is it is possible that this this game could be sort of like the, the straw game, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back, yes. where the Lions like suddenly are terrible, where the people are suddenly like, "Okay, they're they're a cool team, they'll probably make the playoffs," but like, yeah, I, I don't know if I truly believe in them as a, as a contender. I could see that happening, so I, mean, I am a little I mean, scared by that. I'm honestly, I'm honestly would not be shocked if the Lions pulled the Dolphins from last season. Where they just completely collapse. Collapse over the middle. Yeah, yeah. I could see that happen. Uh, I am going to go Detroit minus four and a half, but I don't feel great about it. Denver is at Houston. The Texans are giving up three points. Yes. Sneaky, sneaky, one of the better games in the slate, actually. I know. Denver and Houston. It's actually not would, that great of a week. You would not yet. have said that. You would not have said that six weeks ago. No. Even maybe four weeks ago. Even <laughs> three weeks ago. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, I also think this game... Very significant playoff implica- mm-hmm. implications. The loser of this game maybe be might be out of the playoffs. Mm. So, uh, you know, I'm going to go with Houston. I know I've been saying the Russ is low-key cooking and all that crap. I don't really believe it. I just you realize, like to say it. Yeah, over the last seven games, do you know how many times Russell Wilson has eclipsed 200 passing yards? It's probably like once. Once, twice. yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he's low-key cooking, though. He's low-key cooking, he's low-key being good game manager. <laughs> Give me C.J. Stroud, baby. Texans. I think this could be a game where the the turnover numbers start to, I don't know, bend back to even. They've been on an incredible heater of the Broncos. Playing at Houston, coming off a loss. Give me the Texans, minus the three. Cleveland is at the Rams of Los Angeles. It's minus three and a half for L.A. Joe Flacco starting for the Browns. Yeah, who's announced as the starter earlier today. Uh, I'm not not betting on a fossil playing quarterback. I'm not doing that. Uh, Which one does that apply for? It applies for Joe Flacco. No, it applies for for (laughs) Joe Flacco. Because Matt Stafford is not a fossil. He just is broken all the time. Okay. Uh, how old is Joe Flacco? He's got to be. Okay, he's 38. Wow, that's younger than I thought. That's actually older than I thought. What? Matt Stafford's 35. Dude, Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl like I know. 50 years ago. But I didn't think he was that far apart from Stafford. Stafford's still, 30, only three, what, 35. Stafford's 35? To 38. I mean, that's not. Well, I thought I thought Flacco was like at least in his early 40s. 
Okay, so 38 versus 35. I'm not, no. I'm not picking Joe Flacco. <laughs> I am taking Joe Flacco. Give me Cleveland on this. I think it's more about the defense. I could see this being an ugly game. Uh, the Browns run the ball well. Maybe it's 13 to 10 or something like that, and the Browns exercise some of their defense. They haven't been playing well the last couple weeks. I don't know. Uh, give me the Browns plus three and a half. San Francisco is minus three at Philadelphia, a rematch of the NFC Championship from this past season. The Eagles, they, they, they're like a cat in nine lives. They need to lose a game. They need to. Niners. There's a bit of a Vegas knows something line here. I mean, the, the Eagles have the best record in the NFL. They're at home. Why are they getting the three points? Because you know? the Vegas knows that the Eagles, like I no, know, I agree. I agree. They, they, they're running out of lives. They I, need to lose a game. So I'm going to take San Francisco for the same reasons, but I, I'm a little bit worried here because could you not see that, like, uh, to your point, the Eagles, at some point, something's going to come crashing down. They're they going to lose a game they're not supposed to. Yes. What if it's not this one? Because there is a little bit of a worry for me that you go in, like, everybody, the talk after they won the NFC Championship over the 49ers, especially from 49ers people, was, oh, you got lucky, we had no quarterback. Which is, I mean, partially true, true. Like, right? Yeah, fair, uh, yeah. Brock Purdy gets hurt, Terod Taylor gets hurt, or, no, wait, it wasn't Terod Taylor. Who was their backup? I, I don't um, somebody bad. Uh, Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson gets hurt. Ah. And then it was like they, they legitimately had no quarterback. And they have heard that for the last eight months or however long it's been, nine months, 10 months, 11 months, whatever. Yeah. And basically been like, oh, you didn't actually deserve to win that game. Theoretically, even though the 49ers should be the team with the chip on their shoulder for losing the NFC Championship, it has created a narrative where the Eagles should actually be the team with the chip on their shoulder to be like, no, we'll prove you wrong. We'll beat you with your quarterback. That scares me. I am going to still go San Francisco because I do actually think they're the better team. Yep. Kansas City is minus six at Green Bay on Sunday Night Football. Chiefs, uh, I don't know how they're going to cover this, to be honest, but they'll find a way. I'm going to go Green Bay. I think it's close. I think the Chiefs win in a close one, maybe by four points or something, 24-20, somewhere in that range, but Packers cover. Lock of the week in the NFL. Yeah, to your point, you kind of alluded to it, man. Kind of a kind of a crappy slate of NFL games. Uh, I'm going to go for my lock of the week. Texans, Broncos, under 47.5 points. You mentioned as well with the Broncos, you know, they've been forced on turnovers. Their defense has actually just been kind of pretty good lately, to be honest. Uh, and I think the narrative with their defense was, well, they give up 70 to the Dolphins. They must be terrible. They've been pretty good lately. So I'm going to go under 47.5 points, Texans-Broncos. Titans playing at home against the Colts, who are uh, coming off a nice win. Titans getting a point. Uh, Derrick Henry goes off against the Colts. Uh, that's just something he always does. I, I think the Colts are a fine team. I just can't picture them being seven and five. And maybe that's just my fault because I I don't think the Titans are a great huh, team. But playing at home, divisional game. Give me the Titans plus one uh, against the Colts. Mintu mania, baby. Come on, get All on board. Right. That's our game picks for the week. Let's get some more KU basketball talk against UConn. Our KU basketball game picks, prop bets, rock chalk pick hawk, plenty more coming up, including some KU basketball audio uh, coming up in the next hour. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN or KLWN.com. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Don't forget, you can check out anything you miss today or anytime this week. We talked plenty yesterday about Andy Kolnicki, talked plenty throughout the week, KU basketball, KU football, 
And uh, should be a fun weekend. KU tonight against UConn, 6.30 pregame, tip-off at 8 o'clock. We'll find out the bowl game. Yeah, we'll find out the bowl game on Sunday. So uh, we speculated on that earlier in the week, too. You can find all that on the Best of RCST podcast, brought to you by Massage Envy. Anywhere you get your podcasts, now available at KUSports.com. We're going to get to some uh, KU men's basketball player audio from Hunter Dickinson and Marco Jackson ahead of the UConn game as well as some Bill Self audio ahead of the UConn game coming up throughout the rest of the hour. Before we do any of that, we've got to get to our game picks and our Rock Chalk Pick-A-Hawk. I'm sitting at 6-3 and three on the season. I think it's 3-6. and six. <laughs> you, were, you were trying to hold it in. You were trying not to, but what, what, what would you like to say? 3-4, 4-3. Yeah, that's what I thought. Either way, I'm winning, so that feels good. Um... Reminder on the rules here, we're going to each pick players, and we're going to get one point for every point the player scores, two points for every rebound and assist they have, three points for every block and steal they have, and you lose one point for every minute that they play. Yeah. You, sir, have the first pick this time. All right. So in this game, are we just going to do four each, you think? I'd imagine be a smaller rotation. So, yeah, four, four each, each should work. All right. Yeah, I'll take uh, Jamari McT- No, I'm just kidding. I'll take oh, Hunter Dickinson. <laughs> say that's interesting. No, I get, give me uh, my, my boy Hunter Dickinson. That'll be my first pick. All right, Hunter Dickinson uh, should put up big numbers. Are you worried at all that going against Donovan Klingon— His numbers won't be as good? Yes, because the thing about— Kl- like Klingon's putting up good offensive numbers. He's averaging about 14.5 points. He's shooting 67% from the field. About six rebounds per game. But the the thing that Klingon, I think, is really the, the most impressive at is his defense. Yeah. Because he, he gets he gets a couple blocks per game. UConn's a really good uh, defensive team inside the paint and blocking shots. They also have a good backup big man, too, to where even if Hunter Dickinson does get Klingon in foul trouble, which I think Klingon's actually taller than Dickers, Dickinson, yeah, which is uh, the rare game Dickinson's for Dickinson seven, this year. Dickinson's 7'2", and Klingon's 7'3". Yeah. 7'4", so, even. Does that worry you at all? That right, well, maybe he could have a, a lesser game. Well, let's look at it this way. Hunter Dickinson plays 31 minutes. And instead of scoring 25 and 12, or 22 and 12, what he's been doing, he gets 17 and 9. That's still going to be good enough to yep. get some positive points. No, I think you're right. But no. does if he has 17 and 9, does that make Kevin McCuller possibly more valuable? That is the question. I guess we're going to find out. Uh-huh. Right, uh, by the way, UConn's backup center, Samson Johnson, very good as well. Uh, so I am going to go Kevin McCuller with the next pick. Yeah, I would have been worried a little bit about the Hunter Dickinson thing. I'll be honest; I might have taken Kevin McCuller first. Wow, wow! Because of this matchup. Now so this is a like, steal for you. I guess so. Yeah, a great value. This is just a value pick, nothing more. <laughs> no, um, there is a little bit of a worry. I I don't know how UConn's going to defend KU specifically. I feel like they're going to have, um, uh, because without. Uh, Stefan Castle, who's their good like guard, it yeah. kind of just moves everybody down. He's not gonna. I don't. Is he gonna? If he's gonna play, it won't be. No, that much, Dan Hurley right? said he's already out. So oh, okay, you know. Okay. Um, so I I just imagine that means more Hassan Diara and Solomon Ball. I I think Cam Spencer will be his matchup. Maybe Cam Spencer moves up to the two a little bit more in this game, but um, I think Cam Spencer will be the matchup. And Spencer is a really good defender. He's also a good three and D. Uh, he's yeah. just three and D player. So a guy he, that we had in our hmm, category quite a bit. For, uh, Looking back, wouldn't it have been spring. great for KU to have another three-point shooter? He's shooting 47% from three. Wouldn't that have been great? Yeah. Why didn't no, KU it, go after? It is unfortunate that the the guy that KU has on their roster, Timberlake, has gotten off to a slower start compared to some of the other yeah. transfers that KU seemed to be interested in or rumored about. So Maybe this is the right game. Because if you remember, he visited UConn. Do I need UConn. to tap the sign? November games. Okay. Well, this December, is December games. 
<laughs> they don't matter. Okay. If Nick Timberlake's shooting 47% in March, who cares? But this could be a Timberlake revenge game, you know? Going up against UConn, the team who he visited last in the but, transfer what, portal. How would that be a revenge game? Well, I guess not revenge game. Because he never be went a, there. I don't know. Maybe you it didn't would be like enough a, NIL yeah, game. Yeah, it'd be know. like a <laughs> you, 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 you should have come after me game. Yeah. Should have come harder at me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I am a little bit worried because that matchup is going to be tough for Kevin and he's going to probably have to chase around a lot of ball screens could be tiring, but I, I still think he's going to have a really big game here. Uh, he's been putting up consistently 15 plus points. He's been putting up, you know, 20 plus points in games, getting big rebound totals, getting big assist numbers. Give me Kevin for the first one here. The second one stuff. Very tough, very tough. Some interesting options. There is. So Alex Caraban is a really good four-man for them. I don't know that he can that he's as physical or as strong as KJ. So you could convince me. But with KJ, it's just like you're getting only three rebounds a game right now, basically, to where it's it's hard in Pickahawk if you're not putting up the other stats. You can put up 15 points with two rebounds, two assists in 25 minutes, and you have negative, you know? So I, I think I'm going to go Dewan Harris. I'm a little bit worried because we haven't seen him be scoring the basketball, and that could make it tough for Pickahawk. But I think after yeah. all the conversation that, that we've had from the players and, and people this week and Bill Self of, like, we need him to be more aggressive, I think you see a more aggressive Dewan Harris tonight. Uh, you know, that could be eight points. That could be ten points. That could be 12 points. Yeah. But that's more than what we've seen. And I think if he does get eight points, probably looking at five, six, seven assists. Probably looking at a rebound or two, maybe a steal or two. So uh, I think you can get me positive here. I'll go to one. Yeah, kind of the, the the discussion you had with KJ Adams was interesting. You know, I think earlier in the week I was pretty pretty tough on you know, hey, you need to be a, a a better rebounder probably. And you know, it's it's hard. It's it's easy to lose sight of the fact of some of the stuff that he's gone through personally, and and you know that could certainly be affecting him, and certainly you know wish him the best in that area. And you know that's that's tough. I mean, I you know you never want to be somebody who has to, to to deal with that kind of stuff. So all the best to him, certainly. And you know, I, I think it could easily turn into a situation where maybe he, it helps him play a little bit more inspired, even, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's something that you can easily turn into a positive on the court, at least. Uh, so I'm gonna go with KJ Adams here. I'm gonna go with KJ Adams. I think this is a game where, as you alluded to, he can he can impose himself physically. I think, and if he does that, I think he'll have some success. And again, he's. I mean. I don't know if they track this, but I think KJ Adams has probably got to lead the country in dunks, right? Or be pretty close. He's got all his shots. Probably some like seven foot center. It's probably like Zach Eady, actually. Now that I think about it, because you know he doesn't. I don't know, man. KJ dunks a lot. He does have a lot of dunks. You know, I I trust in him. I think he's going to show up. I'll take KJ Adams. That's a good question. I wonder how many dunks KJ Adams has this year. Does KJ Adams have more dunks this year than Jalen Wilson had in his career? I would assume so. Easily, yes. We did the math last year. He has 13 dunks so far this season. Yeah, that's a lot. It's a lot, but I don't know if that's leading the country. Okay. Let's see what Zach Eady has out of curiosity. So do I have another pick? You do have another pick. Okay, okay, okay. So I have Dickinson and KJ Adams. With my next pick, I am going to go with Johnny Furphy. I think you look at a guy like Marco Jackson. You look at a guy like Jamari McDowell, Nick Timberlake. I think Johnny Furphy has the highest upside, and I also think the beat of Furphy is, I think he more than those other guys has a chance to come in and maybe not play as many minutes, but still score a lot of points. Right? I think it's possible you could see Almarco Jackson play if he's playing twenty to twenty-five minutes. Maybe he doesn't he doesn't score as much, whereas you might get the same scoring value out of Furphy playing less minutes. So from the Pickahawk standpoint, I like that, and I like that math. Give me Jenny 
Perfect. Uh, by the way, Edie has 15 dunks. So oh, man, that's close. Yeah, that is close. All right, so I have two straight picks to finish this up. Um, hmm. I feel like I always end up with Parker Brown. Why is that? Do you not like Parker Brown? Is there something you have no, against him? No, I like him? Parker Brown. It doesn't seem like it. I, I, I enjoy Parker him. Brown. You never pick I'm, him. I'm, I'm a Parker Brown guy. I am going to pick Parker I Brown. I always forget about Parker Brown. It's really the problem. Well, that's kind of messed up. Because <laughs> what happens is... We get to this point in the draft where we both take in the, the two of the guys that are of the four starters. Mm-hmm. And then my head, I just immediately go to that fifth two guy. And I start thinking El Marco, Furphy, Timberlake, McDowell. And then I just forget about my main man, Parker. Okay. Yeah, I'm, go- no, you won't, you won't meet a bigger Parker Brown fan than me. Mm, doesn't Biggest seem like in the it. world. Doesn't seem like number, it. Parker Brown's number one fan. Uh, I've picked him like every time, so I think I would have to be higher on the, the <laughs> Parker Brown fan rankings than you would. Give me uh, Parker Brown, and then with the second one, see, I don't feel great about, I don't know. I'm tempted to go Jamari McDowell. I really am. In a game like this, I, I think Bill Self's going to go with the guys he trusts, but is he going to put up enough? To be positive, I, I don't entirely know. I'm just going to do it anyway. Jamari McDowell. That is unfortunate because uh, I really wanted Jamari McDowell. Really you wanted you Jamari joked McDowell. about it with the first pick. You gave away <laughs> your, tail, your tail. I knew he was high on your draft board. Yeah, that's brutal. Um, gosh. I guess I'll go with I'll go with El Marco. Okay. I mean, I don't – I'm nervous about Timberlake. play like the Marco tonight. <laughs> the Marco Jack father. No. <laughs> you're you're done. You're done. Now, I, yeah, I'm gonna go with El Marco here. I mean, with Timberlake, man, I'm just I'm not ready to buy back in quite yet. So uh, I'll take El Marco. All right. So you have Hunter Dickinson, KJ Adams, Johnny Furfield, Marco Jackson. I have Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris, Parker Brown, and Jamari McDowell. Uh, switching over to our KU basketball game picks. You've gone 13 and four. I have gone 12 and five. So. Uh, pretty productive for for both of us combined. That would make us twenty five and nine overall. The line on the game is uh, Kansas minus three, so UConn plus three, and then the over under is one forty eight and a half. Now you were you were looking at a stat. You were telling me this. I don't know where you saw it. Yeah. About Bill Self is being like the lower ranked team at home. Yes, twelve and zero. Is it when both are top ten or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Or it's like, yeah, it's like top ten when the when both when the opponent's, when the top, opponent's 10? top ten okay. and they're ranked higher than KU. Bill Self's twelve and zero. It's pretty good. Twelve and zero at home. Twelve and zero is pretty good. Turns out. So, and two of those two of those wins came last year: Texas and Kansas State, I believe. Yeah, I did not remember Kansas State being ranked higher, but I guess I it makes either. sense because they they just beat KU like a week or two before. And they, they had that hot start in, in Big 12 play. They were like seventh in Kansas's eighth or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so Kansas minus three and over under 148 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to take Kansas. Uh, I think KU will win this game. Uh, weirdly enough, I feel more confident in them winning based on the outcome of the Eastern Illinois game. That seems very counterintuitive, but I just, I, I don't know. That's just that's just the vibe I'm getting. So I, I like Kansas here. I like Allen Fieldhouse as a home court advantage to help them. Uh, and I just think these are, I just think these are games that KU wins at home, so I'll go Kansas minus the three, forty eight and a half, well, one forty eight and a half. Uh, so what what is that like seventy six to seventy three basically would be something like that. Would that get you there? Uh, yeah, if you're trying to get over, yeah. So Ken Palm has it at seventy five seventy four, which would be half a point over. Okay, okay. I'll take the over. I'll take the over here. 
The, my only concern would be foul trouble for Kansas, but I'll, right. I'll go over. Yeah, so Kansas is playing at a top 40 tempo just in their average possession length offensively. UConn is more middle of the pack in the country, 170th there. Um, but both teams can thrive in transition. So I am going to take the over on 148.5, although I honestly don't feel great about it because I could see it being like 73-70, and then you're under, you know? Kansas minus three. I, th- these are the type of games that Bill Self wins, right? You had a bad performance. Yep. You're playing yep. at home. You have the Allen Fieldhouse crowd. Uh, big time matchup. You win this game. I think three points is too many. I mean, Ken Palm has it as a one point game. Now yeah. I know three points realistically. Like, there's not many outcomes where if Kansas wins, it's less than three. You know, it's just it's just one or two. Exactly, exactly. And I guess three is a push. But yeah, I I think I view this as a 50-50 game. I really do. And so, but you're at home, Allen Fieldhouse. I know. Plus, you have Bill Self. I only view it as a 50-50 game because they're at Allen Fieldhouse, to be honest. Yeah, I, I think mean, if, if this, this was a neutral, neutral court, court game, you would I would probably say 60, favor 40, 55, 45. I think UConn would probably be favored. Yeah, because I, I look at it this way. UConn is is basically Kansas right now. Both are elite at two-point shooting. Both are elite at two-point defense. They except they're better really at three-point shooting. Big men. Yes, they both have elite big men. They have, and they have more like certainty about what their lineup is right now. And I think there's something to that for me um, that I think UConn is the better team. But because you have Bill Self and Allen Fieldhouse, it does make me want to pick Kansas. I just I can't get over the fact that like I think there are so many similarities between these two teams. I just think UConn might be a slightly better version of it. So I'm going to go UConn plus three. But you think So, so you started off by saying, though, you think Kansas is going to win. Or do you think they're going to win? I don't know. Okay. TBD. That's kind of why I'm going with the plus three. Fair, fair. You know. Okay, uh, do you have a favorite prop bet for the game? Uh, Hunter Dickinson, you know, his points, well, his rebounds have been really good. I think I might avoid that, though. Uh, to your point, Kevin McCuller seems like he might be an interesting guy. So I like Kevin McCuller here. Yeah, his over-under, four points. Yeah. It is 13 and a half. Yeah, I think I like that. Okay. So Kevin McCuller... Over 13 and a half points. Um, I think you did the Kevin last time, too. And it went over, by the way. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm tempted by a couple. Uh, Dewan Harris, you can get over three-pointers. At one point, this was plus odds. Now it's no longer that, so that is no longer interesting as much to me. What was it? like? It was like plus 130 this so morning. How many threes? Point five. so you oh, just, just one. make okay, one. Just one yeah. Now it's minus 140, so people are obviously betting on that. That The line changed. I'm going to go a different Kevin McCuller one. I'm going to do Kevin McCuller over 23 and a half combined points, mm. rebounds, and assists. Points, rebounds, assists. Yes. Because uh, if you think about it, if he puts up 15 points, five rebounds, four assists, or he could put up, yep. you know, he's averaging what, six and a half rebounds right now? So if he puts up 15 points, seven rebounds, two assists, right? That gets him there. If he puts up 18 of something, or if he puts up eight to 10 of rebounds or assists, you're going to feel great about this one. So I like that one over 23 and a half combined points plus rebounds plus assists for DeJuan, or for uh, Kevin McCuller, excuse me. All right, we're going to take time out here. That's our KU Basketball Game Picks. We got some audio from Marco Jackson and, and uh, Hunter Dickinson as well as some Bill Self audio coming at you after that. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether it's for a mailbag, just something you think that'd be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. 
rcst1320 am at gmail.com that's rcst1320 am at gmail.com and if you want to listen live three to six p.m central time monday through friday on klwn klwn.com and the klwn app have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast